Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Right, we're from Cork. And what's happening in Dublin? Nothing. Don't give it. They don't give a shade about it down here. on the game don't hide behind your cars or your tattoos or your girlfriends or your agents play the game be careful the cat not say the cat is in the sack when you have not the cat in the sack the great football the Liam Brady's the Ronnie Whelan's the David O'Leary's this is a great football and country produce players and grow and play that rubbish this week I caught up with my former Cork City teammate Carl Shepherd as we talk about his career in the League of Ireland his brief spell in the UK, his time working under John Caulfield, and also what really happened between him and Dundalk. Be fair, Shep, your hair's looking tremendous. Best it's ever looked like. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking too bad at the moment. What's the story? Did you get another transplant or something? No, no, nothing. It's just uh, I haven't had That's... anywhere to get a cut. I was going to say it's probably just from being retired. No, isn't it? No stress. Yeah, no stress. <laughs> no, I can't uh, learn anything to deal with. Nice. How are you get? How are you getting on in retirement? Uh, you missing it at the moment. No, we're seeing the clubs and the friendies. No, I'm happy it's over. Just I, you know yourself. Towards the end, my last two three years, I was not enjoying it, just because of the way the body was. I hated. I, I started to hate football at that stage where it was becoming a job, and geez, I wasn't liking it. So to. When I see the lads now going in for pre-season, I was thinking, will I be missing it? I suppose uh, I'm just happy I'm not out running and all now. I bought a treadmill because I started getting a bit fat, so uh, I'm trying to do some running. There's on no way you would get fat anyway. You're the most strictest person ever. Yeah. You're still vegan. Uh, is it a half and half? I'm having like, at this month now, I'm doing a vegan month, so uh, it's just, but that's mainly because of my back where... If I don't eat meat, it brings down inflammation in my blood and also I'm doing that now. What's so. the story? Are you still in are you still in a lot of pain like and everything? It just crops up every now and again. This month and I'm not having a great month because since I retired, as I said, I was I just started eating a lot of rubbish and when I done that then I suppose the inflammation goes up and I suppose uh that's why I said, right, I'm gonna be a bit stricter now and I had my fun of eating crap, so from now till the end I'll just uh Till the end of what? <laughs> At least till the end of lockdown where I can go, right, I have nothing to... Oh, when's that going to be, Chef? Yeah. Do you know something we don't know? <laughs> Who knows? But at least I can say, if it's now till the end of lockdown, then happy days that I can, I suppose, be strict while I, I, 
suppose there's no real temptation of go out, have a few points with the lads or anything like that because you can't. Do you actually do training by yourself now? Do you actually stay strict in that? Uh, yes and no. Like So at the moment, I'm going through a stage of I wanted to, to get a bit fitter, as in my running-wise, I was... I haven't stopped doing any gym work because I've got a gym in the house. So I've just been ticking along with that. But I, I, I got a treadmill in now and geez, you lose it quick. I was trying to do a, a 30 second sprints and one minute runs and geez, I'm a mile off compared to where I was. Actually, like like one retired guy to another, what's the point in setting yourself targets like that? You know, when you're playing, you kind of go, I have to be quick. But surely, if you're just retired, you're just that's uh, just a little taking over. I I don't need to be quick anymore. Like no, it, it, I suppose it's that's what I found difficult. That as you said, when we were playing, it was always a case of okay, you have to do this run and you have to do it in this time. And now you've no one holding the gun to your head saying get in at this time. So it's a uh, look. It's tough, and it's it, I suppose it's I suppose that. Everyone who isn't a professional will know that that you have to find motivation somewhere to get, I suppose, targets of like, let's say, them runs now. I'm saying, right, by the end of this month, I want to be doing uh, 10 one minute runs at a speed of like 19 kilometers on the treadmill. And I'm going, right, let's take away it slowly. I've started off on six where I used to do 10 on maybe 20 kilometers an hour and I'd be flying. Mm. Whereas now, geez, I'm getting fat and I'm getting fat quick. It's all part of it. Do you know when you retire an iPhone list, everyone wants to know it yet yeah, at the start, but have you found like the your profile has kind of slipped off after all these? You've had a great career and stuff like that, and like football's just moved on. They're like, catch up with who? Yeah, uh, no, look, I, I think you always find that you'll have a core of people who will sort of always be there throughout your career. And when you go through lulls, that's when I suppose you can always see the people who will drop off straight away as soon as you retire. and I suppose I, I I never really was one to, I suppose I wouldn't tolerate fools too quickly in a sense that I wouldn't let people who I felt weren't in my, who wouldn't stick by me when I did retire, I wouldn't let them really inside my group or I suppose that's the best way to put it that when I did retire, I didn't get this shock of, geez, where's all my friends gone to? Of, I, that I always just, had, I kept a close group that I suppose always stuck by me through football. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, was, I saw something you wanted to, Proper banter man, where are you? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, it was hard I, to get into that group, like, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's why I, I, look, I've always been told that, look, there's no friends in football, but I wouldn't say that's true. I have a, I still talk to some of my close friends in football. I call one, some of my best friends that it'd be just that thing of, as you said, there is the banter side to football that I, I wasn't too big on buying into, but look, I suppose, uh, it's important to be, I suppose, a good teammate now, but buying into the banter and all that side of it, it wasn't for me. And let's go back to the career. So I want to have a look over it. You get really, you leave Everton for Galway. How was your mindset then? Is it more of a sad to be coming home or just relieved? No, it was delighted. I When I left Everton, I was a shell of a... I suppose a shell of a, a person that I am now in a sense that I hate, I was, geez, I hated football completely because my time at Everton was, I went over it, what was I, 16, 17, and hated almost 95% of my time there. I really did not enjoy living in England, didn't enjoy being away from my family and friends, where I suppose, look, you're, 
you're sitting in a box room in digs with 10 other lads in Everton has decided that they don't sell to you that you, I suppose you're on the phone to your friends or texting your friends back home. It was MSN back then, actually. You'd be MSN and your mates and they'd be all saying, oh, yeah. We're to Blackberry phone used to be the big thing back then. Yeah, so you'd be uh, messaging them and they'd be saying like, oh, yeah, we're going playing this match or we're going doing this and that, I suppose. And you'd be going, right, well, I'm sitting in this room here for... I suppose at 16, you're nowhere near physically, look, physically you're nowhere near developed, but mentally it's, I suppose, an important time in a person's life where they're developing so much. And for me, gone over at that sort of that age group, it's far too young for anyone to go over. And when I was coming back home, while I was only going back to Galway, I knew it was still Ireland and it was, I could drive in the car. I wouldn't have had to book flights in advance or anything like that, that I could look, jump in the car and drive home. So I was only too happy to, I suppose, get going with Galway. Galway in financial trouble at that stage because they were splashing cash at one point. Weren't they? Yeah. You, were, you obviously made them go bankrupt. Like. <laughs> not, not you can come home for peanuts. Like. Yeah, at that, at that time, I was on very little money. That look, It was just enough to keep me ticking over, really. Uh, it was, at the time, there was Nick Leeson and Sean Connor there and look, I have some great stories, but I, I, I can't really tell too many of them uh, but with, let's say the club certainly wasn't being run, I suppose, too well at that stage. I was a lot of it was being paid in cash, and it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't the best time to be at the club. But in terms of my football, and in terms of even Sean Connor, the manager, I loved every minute of it. It was a, a good group, and I suppose, look, I came back from Everton having played maybe a handful of reserve games and academy football for a couple of years. That, to be thrown into men's football in Ireland was unbelievable. And as I said, I absolutely loved it. Was it a case of when Sean Rovers came, you had to go because of the financial reasons or because you were just dying to go? Uh, no, look, it was uh, there was a lot of things around it. Galway stayed up. We stayed up in a playoff and I was quite attached to them. But at the same time, you would have went a couple of weeks without wages. I know at Galway, when I was there, we deferred wages for a number of weeks to help the club and when you're on very little money to start off with, I suppose it's a, a big burden to be living away from home and I suppose having your mum and dad to drop you up. Well, what's the meeting like for you then though when the first set of wages doesn't come in? Because this happens so often in the league. Like, oh, you got it. What's the first meeting like? Uh, it, it, it's an unideal one. I suppose first you get your, I suppose it happens in drips and drabs normally where Maybe you're a day late, the next thing it becomes two days late, the following week, and the next thing it's a week late. And then I suppose it goes on and on, and then you get called in, and it's glad it's basically you can defer your wages and keep playing for the club, or the club's going to be gone. So I suppose they kind of force your hand there in that sense. It's either that or you can leave. But when they're turning around and saying you can leave when there's no window open, it's, it forces your hand to say, yes, of course, we'll accept it. Referral as there's nothing else you can really do in that time. It's a disaster. With Raw was then like that's obviously was the opposite end then was it in terms of looking after lads? Yeah, it was. Look at the time, I I almost made a foolish decision. I met Michael O'Neill and Liam Buckley at the time, who was at Sporting Fingal, and I was choosing between the two of them. And thankfully, I said to my dad, I was saying, which club will I go to? And he was I was saying Sporting Fingal. I probably have a better chance of playing and. I think they had Europe and I was going okay Rovers it'll be tough to get in I know that Gary Twig and a lot of good players up there and I suppose my dad said look let's go with Shamrock Rovers because 
I suppose they were very close to winning the league. I think the year before, or they won the league that year. And mm. I was going, right, I suppose, how can I make sure I get into a team that will show my talents, I suppose, my ability. And my dad said, look, that looks like the team that will sort of suit you. So I went and signed for Shamrock Rovers. And then about six days later, uh, Sporting Fingal went bust. So it was a good decision. It's crazy that they can like try and sign players. Like surely, well, obviously, Berkeley had no idea that was coming like. I, I'm glad that I suppose well them days probably aren't too far gone from the league and I'm sure there might be a couple maybe a club in a year or two's times that will I suppose go bust again probably but back then I suppose it seemed like it was happening every season or not every two seasons that there's a club coming and going from the league and then just starting up under a new name but I suppose uh, Liam himself probably didn't know too much about it but I say uh Look, a, lot, a lot of lads went down the same route as me. I think, I'm not sure, maybe Ken O'Man did the same thing, whereas he, I think he actually went and signed with Sporting Fingal and then a few days later came to Shamrock Rovers. So uh, I was one of the lucky ones, I suppose. I didn't tire Michael, my, let's say my card, with Michael O'Neill that I made the right call. What did you um, think of Gary Tweed? Because obviously, geez, when I went to Rovers, I was like, he was, he's a god there, like, isn't he? Yeah, he was, and he, I remember my, I think it was my second session, and I was going, the first one I was, I suppose when you're looking at your position, your eyeball, and who, who you're up against, and looking at their strengths and weaknesses, going, right, will I be getting a game this year? And the first session I thought, oh, he's, look, this, he hasn't done much today. Second session, I remember we were playing five-a-sides, and someone was crossing a ball in, and I was marking Gary Twig, and the cross came in, and he must have powered above me, about two foot above me, and bulleted a header in, and I was going, all right. Well, that's why he scores so many goals because he's obviously such a threat that I was going right Jesus but in terms of finishing I struggle to see anyone who finishes like him because it's easy to say to young lads nowadays look let's keep your shots low don't hit them hard just caress them into the corner but in terms of Gary Twig he was unbelievable at that he just caressed the ball into the corner no power on his shots that it was as if he just was side footing them in but he'd find the corner every time and I suppose the meant goals he got over his shorts. It was the four seasons of Shamrock Rovers. It, I suppose it was a testament how good of a finisher he was. What kind of relationship did you have with Michael O'Neill? Was he is he that good a manager? Did you t- see him going on to have such success as he did? Like, yeah, he was brilliant. He was amazing. That I suppose is he the best you've worked on there? Probably, yeah. He was unbelievable in a sense that okay, little things, very little things that may seem small to people outside of football, but something I could have told him my brother was playing with me at Galway for maybe two or three games and then he'd be coming up to asking you oh how's your brother by name and it would it could be a year later down the line and he still remembers these things that I suppose just reminisce I suppose he wants to reminisce with you and be I suppose have that personal touch where a lot of other managers don't even consider that and I know let's say someone like you hear the United boys that's talking about Alex Ferguson, that he'd always do the same. And when Michael O'Neill would do it, it was always just something that I suppose, even if you're angry going to him and he's going, how's your brother David doing? Or how's this and this in, in life? It's hard to stay angry with someone then. And you're, you're going, okay, he's diffused me very quickly there. And I suppose that was a sign of a good manager. What was the European run like? What game stands out for you the most in that group stage? I suppose partisan, the, the qualifier was... Partizan away was unbelievable. It was, uh, I had just come back, I think I had played one game, I 
had a hard operation that year and I had just got, I was out for 10 weeks and then I came back and played Galway away. And then I think I came back and was on the bench out in Partizan and came on at half time and fuck, I, I, I won a peno out there. And I remember just being on, I went out, we all went out as a team that night and I didn't touch a drop of alcohol, which is kind of unlike me, but uh, it was unbelievable just in a sense of that we were on such a high that of the result that I, I suppose I've never been able to replicate that in life that it was just such a buzz it was I suppose being what was I 19 then to go out there to a stadium like that in front of fans like that to cause such an upset it was unbelievable to be a part of why, you, why didn't you drink? I think mainly just because I was on such a high and probably because I was on very little money it was a defensive player so yeah it was and uh, we, I remember we went out to a club that was like but sure, surely you would have just made an unbelievable bonus yeah but you don't get paid that bonus straight into your account that night coming no, it's two years isn't it yeah so uh, the problem was look we also we were on such a high from the result that look there was plenty of lads that that were drinking and some good stories behind it like I remember we were uh, coming home at like maybe five six in the morning and there was lads out playing tennis <laughs> as it was getting bright and they were completely gargled and they were great times and look them two players that I'm talking about have gone on to have great careers so you can uh, leave that up to you to guess who they were When you were on about the heart surgery when did you first find out that you'd need heart surgery and were you scared for your career then? Uh, yeah so I remember it was who were we playing I, can't, I think we were playing maybe Bows I think it was maybe the following day and I was in the team shape day before the game it wasn't sorry it was Dundalk we were playing playing Dundalk and Talent and in the team shape the day before I was just running around and I used to get heart palpitations as I was a kid and all grown up and I remember one day just in training I got a, it was a really bad case of it that I had to say to the management look I need to sit down here this isn't right I'm getting really bad heart palpitations then I looked at, I said look I can't play tomorrow so I went on the bench and they were saying don't be on the bench don't play this and that I was like oh I'm fine I get it all the time so went played the game came on for maybe 30 minutes and geez I was struggling for breath I was struggling to stand during the game and it was uh, I got I suppose I went to a doctor then for a couple of weeks trying to figure out what was wrong with me I had a Wolf Parkinson's White Syndrome which is basically I had my I think it's where my heart had an extra pathway in it where something to do with an electrical pulse in it that I need to get burnt out but it was quite a, squ- a scary time but look, I was maybe 19 so I was uh, I suppose I was just more so worried about can I get back with Copenhagen in a couple of weeks I don't want to miss this and I remember I was having rows with Alan Byrne saying put me back in training straight away and they were saying no we have, it's a heart operation you need to be slowly ease back in but I suppose looking back now, I met Alan recently and I thanked him and I apologise for, I suppose, being so brash at the time saying, what are you doing? Like, we've Copenhagen, this is bigger than anything. But uh, obviously, look, he, he was wise then that he was just saying, look, in a few years' time, you might see different than you're seeing now. And obviously, he did in the end. Has it ever affected you in the rest of your career? No, completely fine. Ever since that, I... Uh, uh, I Touch wood, I never really had a heart palpitation since that. Once it was, the extra pathway was burnt away, I was completely fine then. So you, after a year with Champ Grove, was Reading coming, but that wasn't your first option, was it? 
to go. We 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 spoke about this before. Like it was very close to joining Hibs because I know myself I was close to joining it as well. It was just one man never got the job, wasn't it? One yeah, Irish man got it over another. Yeah, myself and a kind of a cormac were told at the time. Look, your your retention letters haven't been. No, I won't say who the manager was, but your retention letters haven't been signed. But I I, I could be going for the Hibs job. Uh, I'd like to take his well said it was Michael O'Neill because <laughs> I was in the same position because I was Stephen Cork yeah. I should leave Cork that year so I'll say it yeah so I went home that day telling my dad right dad I'm going over to Hibs this is going to be great uh, gone over with a manager who look knows me is going to play me and I was going this is going to be unbelievable for me that I'm going to go into a team and I know he'll play me because he has, he knows what I'm about and I've gone home, packing my bags, getting stuff ready. And then about a week later, I seen Pat Fernandon was announced. So I quickly unpacked my bags. And uh, I suppose then Reading came in a few months later, which was, look, it was nice to, I suppose, have a fallback, which was the championship, which obviously was mm. very nice. But I suppose that's that's life. And what what, it, what, it, what could have possibly been if Michael O'Neill got that job? Myself and you, Cummins, could have been sitting on the bench at Hibs. <laughs> I would have got the stand, I'd say, right? That's my position, the stand. I'd be lucky to get the bench. Do you think, do you ever think going, going over to Redden, were you a bit sceptical after your previous experience with everything? Yeah, well, I, I suppose I was and I wasn't. I was thinking, right, this is brilliant. I'm going to, I've learned so much from my previous time that I suppose I know what to do and what not to do. And then I suppose that ultimately harmed me in a sense that last time I was out there, I lived with 10 players and I said, right, Instead of living with 10 lads, I'm going to get my own place and I'm going to live a bit away from the training ground where I'm not totally immersed in it. And I suppose to have my own space like I do at home. And then next thing you know, I, live, I stayed in a place called Maidenhead, which is on the map about 45 minutes away from Reading. But if you're stuck in traffic, it's two hours. And then anytime any on the, anyone on the team was doing anything, I was two hours away and it was a case of, I, I, I can't, I have to go home because... If I, don't, if I don't go now, I'm going to get stuck in two hours traffic. And I suppose it wasn't the smartest thing for me to do. I probably look at that time, a time like that. You're probably going, right, I need someone who knows more about, I suppose, where to live and where to do this and that to, to stay, to help you. But I suppose I didn't really have that at the time. Accrington, that's a bit of a culture shock because I played there. That's not a good place to play, is it? No, it wasn't. Look, I went from... I suppose signing for Reading in the Championship six months later, they go up to the Premier League and I'm going, right, well, for the first six months I was injured, now I'm fit, can I possibly... Did you get a pay raise as a thing because they went into the Prem? No, because I had to make an appearance in the Championship to get that pay raise, which was... (laughs) Six months towards the end, I was trying everything to get that appearance. I was... I had, putting lads in training and <laughs> I pulled up my quads and I just kept on going out to train and to try and get like I suppose trying to push through and go right look if I can get an appearance then geez I'm set these lads are going up here but look it wasn't to be so it was uh, the next thing they're si- they got taken over by a Russian owner and they're signing lads left right and centre and I'm out at Accrington and yeah I've gone from training with the Premier League squad to out on Accrington and I suppose Jeez, once I went to Accrington, I suppose even the lads there, if you, if they ever spoke about me, but I was like, I probably hated every minute of it. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's. Did they have their own training ground then or anything? No, you're training on local, local what do you call it, astroturfs at schools and school pitches and everything like that. And 
remember one day we were out for jogs and you're running through pub car parks and everything and I was just like get me back home this is this is not for mm. me while I, I don't understand like almost a prima donna that I'm going oh, I'm too good to be running through school car parks and stuff like that it's not a case of that but you're it's a case of rovers are doing better had better facilities and you're exactly. like what's the point been here I find that exactly it was a case of look while I'm earning nice money I'm, I'm on loan from Reading it's I prefer to be at home and training and playing in a standard of football that I suppose it's higher in a sense that it's not as physical and I suppose I'm able to show my ability better than being up against League Two as a grueling league and at the time there wasn't much football played in it and Accrington were one of the footballing teams but it just it didn't suit me whatsoever so I was running through car parks thinking get me out of here get me home and a few probably weeks to months later I was home and I suppose even when I came back I was maybe for a couple of weeks to months I suppose people were going this guy's probably lost it completely in a sense of my confidence was on the floor again and I suppose even just outside of football I probably wasn't doing everything as much as I should have been as in living your life right and everything like that because I suppose when you take them knocks you're going right you probably don't train as hard as you should. You probably don't eat as well as you should. You don't drink as little as you probably should as well. So I suppose all that sort of catches up on you, even in terms of game time, when you've not played for a year, year and a half to two years, you're, you're coming back. And I look at someone like Rory Gaffney now, and he's probably gone through the same process of he's coming home. And I, I probably expect someone like him to have a bigger season this year because he obviously came back to Rovers and he probably didn't play as well as he'd have liked and he got picking up injuries. So I suppose someone like him this year, I'm, I'm looking at him going, he'll probably have a better season this year now that he's probably had a bit of time to bet in and get a bit more confidence. So did you did you actually feel worse coming back the second time than you did the first time? Um, it's probably similar. Probably second time is a bit easier because you've already done it. First time coming home, you're thinking... A party is thinking, I failed, I've gone over and everyone had these high hopes for me and high expectations. But then on the other hand, you're, I'm sure you know yourself, you're so happy to be getting out of England and obviously in your case, Scotland, that you're going, right, I can't wait to get home. I'm delighted to be back here. And for you, it was Cork. For me, it was Dublin going, right, I'm so happy to be getting home and playing that I don't care if people are queuing what I did as a failure. It's so so good to be back sometimes it is that that you just want to stay because you don't want to be seen as a failure isn't it because you don't they don't realize then like you said when you're sitting in the house by yourself how tough it is like yeah well i suppose each person's i suppose to their own in that sense that me myself even at the start when i was speaking to you i i not one to really care what other people think of me too much i look everyone has their own opinion on people and people could say to me you're a massive failure went over to England and it, it wouldn't bother me whatsoever because I know that look I've always I suppose 90% 95% of the time I've done as much as I can with my ability it's just coming home from a, a club in England where I wasn't enjoying myself it was for me it was a very simple and straightforward decision of get home who cares what other people think Look, there's money yes you'll get a lot more money in the UK and you'll probably you could come away at the end of your career with more money but I suppose for me it's not about money it's about 
how happy are you in life and I suppose how happy are you which it look like you can stay in England and probably bounce from club to club and possibly never win anything or do anything along them lines so for me it's what have you won what have you I suppose how much have you enjoyed it and your memories you can take out of football and money <laughs> yeah well obviously money's to be fair you wouldn't play for free would you why did you decide to leave Rovers then for Cork City um, I remember at the time the first two years Trevor, first year and a half Trevor Crawley was there and I remember at the time Trevor had myself Eamon Zaid Kieran Kilduff and Mark Quigley and I suppose neither of none of us were really scoring and it didn't really suit any of our games I suppose I know he wanted Christy Fagan in at the time and he was looking for a striker like that and I suppose that didn't really suit any of us so Pat Fenlon came in then after and I got on really really well with Pat and I, I liked his training and everything and I went, I went to speak with Pat towards the end of the season and I remember I almost felt like a part of the furniture there at Shamrock Rovers that was something I said when I'd left that it was a big decision why I'd left that I felt like I needed a new challenge and that I was almost in my comfort zone in a sense that I, could, I probably could have sat at Shamrock Rovers for another two years with them and sat there for a while and felt like I could have probably been a bit part player but I was looking at Cork and when I met John you know yourself coming to what John is like he's so enthusiastic yeah he's very enthusiastic and driven and determined and I suppose once you get talking to someone like that you're like jeez this type of man I want to play for so when I met John look I was like right get me down to Cork I I, want to go down I want to play for this man so it was a decision that I look back and I'm going thank God I done that How were you kind of treated when you walked into the dressing room in Cork yeah, I just think Cork people see Dublin people as arrogant. Yeah, look, I suppose uh, coming coming from Dublin, I didn't really realise that Cork people felt that way. So it's nice to know what you really thought of us. But uh... I know, jeez, I remember. I actually remember you were uh, there was a twenty three game. Remember that? I remember the twenty three yeah. league, and I remember you walking into the hotel and you were injured at the time, and I was like, this big time. Charlie, <laughs> and you went in, got your stuff, and just straight out, and like there we were going to Estonia later. And I was like, I was delighted because I was like, yes, that's another strike gone, and I'd actually get on the bench here or something. Yeah, no, I remember that trip, and yeah, I remember. Uh, I think we were coming up to a, a very important stage of the season with Shamrock Rovers that time, and I think I actually pulled out with a, a, a blister on it. No, it was a fairly bad blister, but I pulled out with. a like an infected blister from that squad. And I was so thankful because that squad at the time, it was, I suppose half the team didn't want to be on it because it wasn't being run right. And I'm sure you know yourself, Cummins, that you were like, geez, I suppose things going on here isn't, I suppose it's not as professional as let's say if you were called up to a 19 squad or a 21 mm. squad, it was a bit more of a, I suppose, a, a, I don't want to say a joke because it, look, it's very nice to be called up to any squad, but it wasn't as professional as it should have been. And uh, I, th- I also remember thinking, right, I want to get into the Shamrock Rovers team. It's, I suppose it's more important for me to get in here than it is for the 23s. Yeah. But, uh, even touching on the Cork one, that so when I went into the dressing room, there, it was nice that I knew Dan Murray and Billy Dennehy and Darren Dennehy. And then you've gone into a dressing room that has lads like Liam Kearney and John O'Flynn and you're going and Colin Healy and all these lads that I suppose brilliant people and Alan Bennett, Liam Miller all came in that season and I suppose it was uh, just a very, very good dressing room to come into. 
How good were some of the players there? Who's the one that stood out for you when you mentioned their names, considering the craze of that? Look, I suppose it's... For me, there's three straight away. You're looking at, you're going, obviously, look, Liam Miller, unbelievable in terms of his, his past and how calm he was in training and on the ball. He was just... It was as if he floated around the pitch and he was just so, I suppose, elegant in how he played. He was a beautiful footballer in, in, in every sense that nothing phased him when he was playing. And then obviously you have Colin Healy, who's obviously almost a completely opposite where he's so intense. And I've never seen anyone train as as well as Colin. And Colin Healy, I think maybe two years ago, John asked him to come in two years later when he was retired. And he's probably the best trainer because... I've never seen anyone have, I suppose, fire a pass in as well as he could and demand standards. And it doesn't surprise me that he's gone on to be a manager now because he always demanded so much from everyone in training. And then you have someone like Alan Bennett as well. That you know yourself, Cummins, what it's like to be in training with Benno. That he, he used to wear this Casio watch and I've had so many imprints of that Casio watch on my head from absolutely wrestling with you for every ball in training that he was... Look, he was not only a gentleman, but he was such a good player for, I look at him, he was playing until maybe 36, 37, that, look, I'm sure you know yourself, but to be playing at that age, it's remarkable. Mm. And you win the cup in the first year last minute, what kind of feelings that? Uh, I suppose we've done it a very nice way, we've done it obviously for winning the the cup at the last minute and then to do the following year as well to, on penos it was uh, I suppose then, uh, just unbelievable I remember I think I came off cramp in my first cup final and I got, actually was beside the pitch and I was saying to John Caulfield John jeez I'm in bits here my boat legs have gone they've seized up on me and he was like right 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 wait there Dan Murray's not ready so I got stretchered off with cramp in a cup final <laughs> so uh, I got some dragon for that and then we lost that year as well. And I had two good friends at Dundalk, Kilduff and uh, Fergal Karen, where the, it was the physio. And the slagging I got off them for not only losing, but then got stretchered off with cramp. So the following year, to be able to turn around and go, look, it was nice to not come off with cramp. And two, to be able to beat just was, I suppose it's nice to be giving them some slagging back. How good is Shawnee McGuire? He's ridiculous. ridiculous. Like, he, he, he's someone that... If I see the reason he won the league that year. Honestly. It's hard to say because it's look, not really like, is it? I mean, like when he left, let's be honest. Like, no, well, like I suppose you're, you, what the the aside to it that people don't really see is they could turn around and say, "Shot Maguire won you the league and won you this and that." But when we had Marco Sullivan, we were very close, and then we signed. I suppose Stephen Dooley that year was unbelievable, and I had a, a very good year myself, and so did Garrod Morrissey, and you signed Conor McCormick and Greg Bulger is on the bench. This decided that people don't bring up, and then you lose Kev O'Connor as well, who at that time was frighteningly good for a left back. He was, I suppose, he just drove the team on from there. And not only that, you're then having to replace the way you play. We were getting into Shawnee, and everyone make runs off. Whereas then I was up front, Jimmy Cohan was up front, and it's just gone right. Even when you came in, Cummins, it was okay, now we have a target man, now we can. Cummins can flick it on and we'll run off him where it's I suppose we didn't have Shawnee there to I suppose play balls into his feet me with my back to goal I'm poor with my back to goal I'm a 
a winger really I like to say that I was a striker for a few years but in terms of how good Shawnee was he was unbelievable there was look don't get, don't get me wrong there was games where I was looking at him going geez this guy's just gone to another level now he was when he first came in he was in and out of the team for a little spell and I remember I replaced him in a game up in Galway where I started in front of him and since that he didn't look back he was unbelievable since then and the ball would come into him, he'd be able to do it all. He'd be spinning behind, he'd be out leaping big defenders, he'd be taking it in, holding it off, laying it off, then getting in the box. He he, he had it all. And for, I suppose, a 12 to 15 month spell, he was just unplayable. Did you ever get a chance to go back over to the UK? No. You were, you were saying you were doing well, no offers. Yeah, no, look, no offers. And I suppose I'll be completely honest, Cummins, if an offer had came in, I wouldn't have gone. And it was something that. I suppose I had been playing my best football and I was maybe 26 and from right wing, I think I maybe had something like maybe 12 goals the, the first season, maybe 10 the next and something along the lines of 12 to 15 the following season with a handful of assists. And I was going, right, I'm playing the best football of my career here. But if an offer comes in, I won't be going anywhere because I've been twice. I've hated every minute. So I'd even say to lads, if they asked, like, would you go back over? I remember saying at the time, even if it was a three, four grand a week, I wouldn't go because I know what it's like. To, I suppose the money doesn't outweigh the, I suppose the mental aspect of going over and hating every minute of it. Before, when you win the league with Cork, how much of a relief was it involved with the celebrations like afterwards? Because uh, you did stumble over the line, like. Yeah, it was. It was a relief, and I'll be honest. It was a bit tainted for me at the time. It was something at the time there was the rumors that I had signed with Dundalk. Yes, but at that (laughs) (laughs) at that time they couldn't be proved, so uh, they were just rumors. So uh, it was. uh, I remember we played. Look to get over the line against Derry. It was huge because, look, as a club we were stumbling, and there was the fear that. Jeez, we might not do this and after putting it in for so long and for chasing the dog down and getting that big gap and then to see it slowly starting to windle away that we we're going oh, Jesus if we throw this away we'll be the biggest bottlers possibly ever in the League of Ireland so because there was panic like because I remember the lads telling me about John you were still about 21 points clear or something you lost to Shamrock Rovers and you were in was it the next morning analysing yeah. the video like as if you'd lost the league or something you were miles ahead yeah, we'd lost, I think it was 3-0 we lost. And possibly looking back, it, it, it could have been the right thing to do. It, it could, each, I suppose each manager is sort of up to their own. And so was, the big thing for us that year was we weren't used to losing whatsoever. So when we lost the game, it was a crisis. And we'd all be going imploding on the inside. And I suppose if, if, I suppose if you're used to winning more so, I suppose winning leagues, you may know that, look, there will come a blip. There will come a time where we might not win a game. And I suppose it's about keeping calm. But at that time, we we were all sort of going crazy and fighting with each other on how we can get over the line. And look, we, we obviously did in the end. And it was, as you said, a huge relief. But for me, it was, I suppose, quite tainted. I remember a couple of the Cork fans were booming in the home game. I suppose when we were playing golf, I think it was, might have been Galway or Braid the uh, last game of the season before we were lifting the trophy and I, I didn't want to go up and lift it or anything like that so uh, a storm, I think the Ophelia Storm was there so 
I lifted it over where the, the empty sh- the empty stand was really because I didn't want any boom me or anything like that. So I was like, right, at least I'll get my hands on it lifted and now I'll stay towards the back. So it was a look. It was a was bit there actual like resentment to some of the Cork fans over that. Do I? No, just at that moment, were you feeling like, why should I celebrate with these fellas? Like, it wasn't more so for why should I celebrate with these fellas. I was like, look, it's. I suppose it's a big moment for everyone that look. Once I got in the dressing room, I was celebrating with all my teammates. I was more so a case of. It's a big moment for the team that you have lads who I knew for, geez, how long was there at court then at that stage? Maybe two and a half years. And same with John. John was there for three and a half years, possibly at that stage that were hunting down the dock like dogs. And they literally tried everything to get over the line. And when we did, I didn't want it to be a case of, here's me going up and celebrating. And then it's a, a headline of, Cork fans booing as they lift the title type thing. So I was like, right, I'll do it over here. I'll get my pictures. And then once I get in the dressing room, I'll have a few champ- drinks, of cha- drink of champagne and celebrate with the lads then. And I suppose ultimately would it have been nice to maybe celebrate outside? Yes, but do I care really too much? Not really. So going into that cup final, it kind of broke that you'd signed and everything when Stephen Kenny said it. Was that the moment then you went, I'm not going? Or was it a fact that were you going into that cup final still convinced you were going to be a Dundalk player? Uh, no, at that stage, I uh, gone into the final. My, I, I had known that, look, this isn't right. We had met up and, look, it was in the paper from, I think the game was on maybe the, now my day's maybe a day or two off here, but the game's obviously on the Sunday and I think it maybe broke on the Tuesday and we met up as a squad on the Thursday or Friday as a team and John sat everyone down and said, look, I want to address the elephant in the room. And Mark McNulty stands up and goes, John, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have sung that chant. John said, sit down, you fool. It's not about you. So then uh, he said, look, Carl Shepard, he's leaving us. It's uh, People are asking me not to play him, but there's no way. He said, I know Shep, he's going to put in everything into this game. And I suppose to hear John talking like that, I suppose I was like, look, the other, the other manager has sort of thrown me under the bus here and gave me possibly his word that, look, this won't happen. And then it came out. Look, he may not have directly said it, but for me it was enough that I was like, look, this is not right. That I I can't go and sign with them dark now. And I, I have a man here and John who's single-handedly standing up for me in front of his team when it could have been easy to go. No, look, you signed for them. You're not playing in this game. So, uh, yeah, look, it was it was very stressful time, and I was only two, like I think uh, a side of it that people don't see that before that game I had gone and in my head gone look I'm sticking with Cork. If people saw my celebration when I played the ball through the H and he scored, I literally ran sixty yards full sprint. Then two seconds later, went down with cramp because I'd sprinted for so long to get to him. I was just so happy and then I obviously scored a panel as well in the shootout which I suppose was I'd never been more confident in a panel that I was actually going to consider and I have a brutal record on them I was never so confident of scoring I was just like right 100% scoring this panel I'm just for some reason it was the most confident I've ever been and one that I suppose it was very nice for me to be able to repay John for saying that in front of the lads that look Shep's going to give us his all and I trust him 
how did you get out of the contract then? What were the steps? Did you ring Stephen Kenyon? Yeah, I had to ring him. And look, I suppose uh, there's steps in each pre-contract that I suppose uh, a lot of clubs may not know things about. Like if you sign in a pre-contract with a club, the other club has to inform the other club within six months or within a couple of months of of you doing that. And obviously that procedure wasn't followed. And I suppose there's a, I suppose a pre-contract isn't really worth the paper. It's, I suppose, isn't really worth the paper that it's signed on. It's, uh, I suppose, look, I was more than happy to go and sign with them, Doc, until it all happened. So for me, it was just, once I was able to, obviously, look, I got out of it and I signed back with Cork and that's that. Did you regret it afterwards when Dundalk won the next year? No, not at all. I uh, honestly not at all. If people people might have asked me, geez, what would have happened if you went to Dundalk and you would have earned more money, you would have been living at home. <laughs> I would I wouldn't have blamed you for going. Yeah, but look, I'm, as I said to you before, even with the thing with if England came back up, I wouldn't have gone for the money. It's just, I suppose. Look, I had. A great time at Cork, and for me, I couldn't, I couldn't justify it in myself going down to Dundalk after. I suppose what the events that unfolded coming up to the cup final. It was for me. It was right. I have to stay with Cork, and in no way do I regret it because I I know all the emotions I had going into that cup final. Yeah, but like at Cork, it sometimes did it did it frustrate you? Were you, you know, training how we used to go in two and a half hours beforehand? How frustrating could that be some days? Like, yeah, look, it's uh, aside to football, like the way. Like, I, I to give one time. Do you remember when we had to go down to a pitch and rip up a piece of paper and come back into the dressing room? Like that was insane. At training, and it was Damon Delaney's first day, and we were all thinking, "What is he thinking here?" Yeah, look, there's a, there's sides to football that is full of crap. Like there's so much of it that is full of crap that I myself I don't buy into whatsoever. It, like the, I know that a lot of teams, let's say beforehand, just might meet up and write out like what can we do as or what type of team are we going to be, and you write it on a page and you put the page up in a dressing room. But each part, some people might like that, so I understand that a team might do that. But for me, it's a lot of crap because you can write. We want to be a hard-working team, but if you're a team full of lazy so-and-sos, it, it doesn't matter what you write on a page because it's about how you, I suppose, you do your day-to-day jobs, like how you, let's say, John Caulfield. His teams are known for being hard-working because in every training session, if you're not training, he will roar the head off you until you get running. And if you don't, you won't be there for long. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of it. A lot of the football is, <laughs> is boring, is let's say pre-matches waiting around all that stuff I'm certainly not going to miss because you have your pre-match you're waiting around hours before training you're waiting around hours and the traveling as well look there's a lot of it I won't miss but in terms of the stuff that you said there geez I'm only so happy that I don't have to do that side of it again when you like you got me captain then but I always remember you took it off Conor McCormick at the time, you were the one who had to tell him that you were taking it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, we were sharing an apartment as well at the same time, so it was an awkward conversation. But it was a, uh, it was a funny one. Like I was, 
called in and I sort of made captain without being made captain. I was captain when Benno wasn't there. So it was one of them where I suppose I delivered the bad news and got none, none of the, I suppose, the rewards for it. So uh, <laughs> it was a funny one. But look, it was a, a big moment for, obviously, for any player. I, I suppose, you know what, you know what I'm like, comments. I don't really buy into the emotional side of, let's say, mm. being a captain or anything like that. I suppose... For me, it was just a sign that, okay, you're doing something right, keep on doing the same sort of things. But is it nice to be a male captain? Yes. But is it something that I think back of and go, geez, that was such an honour? No, because for me, when I first met John, he was saying, we've Johnny Levy, who's captain now, but you look around the dressing room, I could make Dan Murray this, this and this captain because these are all captains. So for me, it's nice to have some the captain's Ironman, but ultimately, I suppose, players don't really care who's captain as long as that person's actually doing the business or at least doing the right steps and training, et cetera, that he's leading by example. What was your feeling when uh, John lost his job? Uh, I'll be honest. I was like completely gutted for him in a sense that I knew that this was a man, as I told you the story about the, the cup final beforehand and all the memories that I had with him, I was gutted for him because I knew... Like, John's can be hard work at times and John won't mind, well, not hard work. He's demands so much that I suppose you're going, this is so demanding that, look, you, you miss out on that. He'll give out to you if you're, let's say, going out the day before a game to a shopping centre or anything like that, that. A lot of other managers won't do, but that's just John and he demands so much and it, I mm. suppose it takes, it, it possibly, I don't want to say it took a toll on that squad, but... It, John probably himself, looking back, will say that it was, uh, I suppose we didn't have the, the quality in the dressing room that time and he was trying to demand so much from us, but the quality just wasn't there. And even for when he lost his job, I was just, I was good at it. And I remember everyone was so, I suppose, riled up at the time and tensions were flying and it's easy to, I suppose, what would you say, easy to dismiss the past and just think about, oh, this guy's wrecking my head because he's demanding so much now. But I remember the following day he came in to thank us all and I was like, even now, I'll happily text John anytime and say, how are you getting on, John? Because when he came in, I was like, this man's just, I suppose, deep down, he's, he's a really nice guy and mm. done everything for I think me. even himself, he kind of knew at the time, like, you know what, it's, it's right for me to go here. I think he just kind of, it actually took his toll and then kind of, I think, the job. Yeah. No, I, I, I probably agree with you there because, look, he was so used to winning that when it started to go wrong, that I suppose the pressure that he put on lads to perform when we weren't performing, it just became, I suppose, I suppose an endless cycle of demanding, 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 not performing, demanding, not performing. And then when you start to try and change tack, I suppose it's, you're, I suppose it was as good as up that if John's not demanding from us and let's say if he tr was going right I'll go with a nice approach then it, it wouldn't have worked because he was all about demanding so it was uh, yeah it probably took its toll on John as well he was probably thankful for the break when he stepped away and now he's obviously at Galway now and I'm sure they'll probably know John he'll probably get them promoted this year so they uh Oh, look, I, he's one that I obviously look back on and have, have a lot of great memories. And even the little things, we played Dundalk in, I think it was the 2015 Cup Final. He lost that Cup Final in extra time to a last-minute Richie Tell winner. 
he went in and congratulated all the Dundalk players into their dressing room after and gave them a speech. And these are little things that people forget quickly that I've not seen another manager do to us after a cup final. So it's a, uh, I suppose it's a mark of the man. Do you think that was that season was kind of Cork playing first division next year? Do you think that was the downfall club just going the wrong way? Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's it's hard to I suppose pinpoint where the club went wrong. They went from I suppose they were trying to do things the right way, which is I suppose the, the worst thing about it. They went from forty two weeks to, to forty four to forty six weeks pay to fifty two weeks pay. And look, while it's a big jump, every player will guarantee you that if they were guaranteed, if they could get fifty-two weeks pay, they'll do this, this, and this for you. And you'd hope that it will sort of pay off on the pitch. But I suppose it wasn't to be when you look over the, I suppose the list of players that left. I suppose, geez, you're probably talking maybe ten to fifteen players that were, if not first team, they were very close to being regular first team players and maybe three, four or five who are complete star players that you lose. And I suppose the quality just that was brought in, it was some of them were gambles, gambling on loan players, this, this and this. And you look back at it, it just quality wasn't in the squad. Right. I've got to ask you a few questions now. So Cots takes over. You went in and asked Cots, could you get your teeth done in Turkey when we got a game called off? Yeah. How cheeky is that? Uh how do you give the front to go and ask a manager that when when we had the following week off before the off the week off as well the break? Yeah, well, I think we had a what did we have? We had a week off and the following week we had off as well. But with my teeth where they were veneers, so I had to go to Turkey to get them done, and I had I had a problem with them, so I was going like, "Geez, I need to get the, this fixed." Like, and there's no better time than now, so. Look, I went in, I asked. I don't know if I got it. I don't think I did, did I? You did get it. You did. It's just Turkey cancelled on you. Because I remember yeah. going, are you joking me? Because like, I was on my way getting kicked ah, yeah, out but... of the club and you were getting your bloody teeth done. It would have been maybe, what, two, three days. So, look, lads go. These type of things happen within a club. Like, John would have let Sads go home and this lad would go back to Dublin. And there's loads of times where lads would have been, I suppose, let go back to Dublin. I suppose the difference was... I was going to Turkey to get my teeth done. <laughs> mm, I remember Dan Casey coming in after Paddy's Day. It's been a good play edition. Yeah. <laughs> now, let me ask you, one of the lads, Josh, said to me on Twitter, talked to me about you saying that you could beat Katie Taylor in a boxing match. It, it wasn't a boxing match. Now, what this was, was this started out as Katie Taylor when she was maybe about five, six years ago, and it was a case yeah. of me putting everything I could in my way to say, Right, if I got six months like MMA grappling training and we did MMA and I did this, this and this and she wasn't allowed to train MMA, I'd be Katie Taylor. But I suppose looking back now, she has been on good form recently. So I'd say she just beat me. My big thing around it was saying I'd have maybe 20, 30 kg on her. Maybe now I'd have about 40, 50. But uh, yeah, looking back now, I, I suppose she'd probably, she'd probably beat me on points. And what's the story of Mick Rings, the kit man at Cork said you were, you were first man for robbing coats and things? Not robbing coats. There's one coat that uh, myself and Stephen Beattie would have had our eye on, and I think uh, it's found a good home. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in it. Uh, I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth here, but it's found a good home. 
looking forward to the season ahead, who do you think is the club that's who are you tipping to win the league and who's the player you think is going to be the stand-up player? I know that Jack Bowen's gone, I suppose. It's, uh, it's a difficult one. Jeez. I, I, a club that people probably wouldn't expect me to pick to win the league. I think Bowes might win it this year. I'm looking at their team and... You're just trying to brown those the Bowes fans know because they hate you. They know that's the last thing I'm going to do for them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if there's ever a crowd that uh, did not like me very much and I didn't, I suppose that was reciprocated back to them, but I'm looking at their team and they signed Thomas Alua, they've Andy Lines, they've signed Harry, they've a load of young good players, Ross Tierney, they've, geez, when you look at it, they've a frightening, frightening team and I just think, I know firsthand that when you lose let's say someone like a Jack Byrne from your team when we lost Shawnee it was so hard to I suppose change how you're playing and I could be wrong Shamrock Rovers could could obviously run away with it again and Dundalk assigned a lot of players that I wouldn't be too familiar on so I suppose I couldn't put my hat on them and say they'll win the league but when you look at what Bo's been building and they've added little bits here and there to their team that if they can hold on to Andy Lyons for the season that'll be a huge one he's so I suppose He's so good going forward and I suppose he's a huge outlet for them that if they can hold on to him, I'd say they'll be there or thereabouts. But Who do you think will win the first division? Jeez. Now, it's probably a good thing for the League of Ireland that I, I'm saying this, that it's the most competitive first division that I've, I've seen in a long time. Jeez, it's very tough to call, but... It would be hard to look between, I suppose, between Shells and Galway. I'd probably just pick Galway just because they, they have a lot of experience in that team and the manager. Like, John's going to have them, I suppose, the, the way they finished last year and the, the signings they made in the off-season. I really like Ronan Manning as a player as well. He's uh, He floats past, uh, past players at times that... I suppose if he had his, his head screwed, when I say screwed on, there's, if he buys into, I suppose, John's style of play, he could be one that you'd really watch out for. He could be sort of like Sads was for John, that he needs to buy into working hard. And once he does, I suppose he'll reap the boards for it. It came up this week, um, Ireland are looking for a joint bid of the World Cup in 2030. Do you think that's a good thing for your football? Uh, no, I think, look, I'd be very disappointed if the FAI were actually, or the government were in any way looking into this. You talk about getting your house in order first. You look at the stadiums around, sure, we've only the Aviva really. You look at stadiums around Ireland, there's, Tala is getting done up and when it does, it'll be great that there's that, or that the vast majority of stadiums are outdated. There's, so the toilet, the facility for toilets and fans are laughable in some stadiums it's I suppose it's uh, you'd hope that a lot of that time and effort and money would be put into actually let's get the League of Ireland built up right let's get I suppose the commercial aspect of the League of Ireland built up that players are looked up to as rugby players are in Ireland like you look at it and you're saying Jesus there's I suppose no profile to League of Ireland players in comparison to rugby, in comparison to Gaelic. It, you, you don't see League of Ireland players on billboards around Dublin or 
even on TV, the, the I suppose the match of the day sort of program, which was Soccer Republic, is now completely scrapped. So you'd hope that I suppose these aspects would be looked into and saying, okay, if we get our house in order first and get good stadiums, get I suppose better profile around the League of Ireland to try and attract more fans to what people call the best fans in the world that don't attend our league. I suppose their aspects of it that I suppose you'd hope that they'd look into first going, right, let's get our house in order. Yeah, well for me, would it not sell Irish game? Is it not more important to be recognised internationally? Well, if you look at it come and look at this I suppose the League of Ireland or the League of Ireland team or the League of Ireland but, like you're saying there what's the point in doing up stadiums in the league if you're not going to have fans in the ground well I, like let's say for example if I brought you to you'd never watched the League of Ireland game before and I bring you as long as a, a spectator are you going to come back if we go to a ground where you can't go to the toilet and the stand you're sitting in is getting drenched and the seat you're sitting on is half broke you're not going to dream of coming back because the, I suppose the facilities are are not right in the vast majority of stadiums. And I, I, look, I'll be a League of Ireland man now till the day I die. And I'll always be, I suppose, demanding the most for the players that are there and demanding, I suppose, standards that have been accepted in the League of Ireland. You get a job as the PFA. Well, look, for me, the standards that have been accepted in the League of Ireland are so low in terms of facilities, in terms of training grounds, everything like that, that you look at it and you're going, if, let's say, if Ireland was to host, where would these teams train? If they couldn't train in, let's say, the vast majority of, there are Shamrock Rovers and a handful of others, the only that actually have their own training grounds. So there's so many sides of it that need, I suppose, to up their game in. And I suppose that's not going to happen without one government funding and, I suppose, commercially, you have to make these players, for me, you have to make the players almost icons or stars that kids are looking up to going, geez, I want to grow up to be a Graham Burke. I want to grow up and be a Jack Byrne or a Danny Mandrew or Andy Lyons, for example. These are lads that, that they should be looking up to and the league should be going, right, look at James McLean, look at all these lads, Seamus Coleman that have come through the League of Ireland. If we promote these now, I suppose it'll when they go on to be bigger, better things, possibly for the first team in, with Ireland, you'll be going, okay, well, I, I've always looked up to this lad since he was a League of Ireland player. Geez, I really want to keep going to League of Ireland matches in case I see this lad now, John Doe here, who's a young under-17 player. I want to see him grow up and then be another international. So, so much of it that for me, it's it's laughable, the standards that we, we I suppose, that are accepted. Mm. I'm not talking about the football side, but I'm talking about off the field. That was brilliant, chap. Thanks for your time. No worries at all. Enjoy retirement. I am. Get on that belly, mate. Get that belly up. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's well on its way. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 